Well, hello from Maui, Hawaii, and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner. Nice to be with you as always. This program heard live by telephone and on the web, and of course available as a replay, posted on the internet through my website, theagelesswisdom.com. Uh, today we're going to do an overview of the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. I'm looking forward to that, and I'm going to have you. I'm even going to show you how you can follow along on my website. And uh, yet, at the top of the program, I want to talk a little about the larger mission here, what we're really all about, and that's forwarding these programs to our friends, to family members, and other people that we really, really care about. Um, I think the type of people, the, the kind of women and men who are interested in these programs tend to be people who understand that the only thing better than your personal success is helping other people to be successful. The only thing superior to creating and learning to use levels of personal peace is to help other people feel safe and peaceful and empower them in that way. So that's really what we're all about. We've got programs here for you. This program every Sunday live and archived and the Finding Yourself in Paradise program, both of which are podcasts, are for you. But that's only part of it. The bigger mission is to, I used to say the self-interest in service. See how from the point of view of the true self, the higher self, the real self, it's in your interest to forward these programs to the people that you think most need to hear them, to share what you care about, so to speak. So I'd like to bring on, um, before we go into our topic of the day today, the Ageless Wisdom, my buddy, my partner in business for more than three decades, some 35 years or so, Steve Snyder. Hello, Stephen. Good morning, Michael, and good morning or afternoon or evening to all of you. Um, just wanted to share with you all, including you, Michael, uh, an email I got uh, yesterday. Uh, a young man, a college student, who had gotten forwarded to him the family learning hour from uh, a CEO that I'd spoken to a couple of months ago. It's a young, young man away at school for the first time and uh, has dyslexia, and it's always been a challenge for him all the way through high school, and now college he found to be even a bigger challenge. Well, he got these family learning hour programs about a month ago, and I just got an email from him saying that reading is transformed, basically. He can read. <laughs> it's like, wow, I didn't, I didn't know I could do it. It's like all of a sudden, instead of looking at little words and getting his mind all confused, is that a was or is that a saw, he's now seeing like whole phrases at a time, and it's just making sense to him. And and so he's, he just was sharing how uh, excited he was. And, and that's, that's what I'm excited about. I mean, uh, getting these programs into the hands of the people that need them the most, you know. That's, that's where Michael and I basically, this is our legacy. You know, getting, we're making programs all the time. We're making more. We're making one right now. And, and we want to get these, these programs into the hands of everybody around that needs them the most. So that's, uh, that's what I'm excited about. And to me, the family learning hour. This kid, actually, he was away at school. He couldn't even do it as like a family learning hour. He had to just listen by himself because he wasn't, he was like, it still works, you know. I mean, still, just listen, five hours, five 40-minute programs, actually, and you triple your reading speed, you improve your comprehension. 
and that's if you're a bad reader to start. If you're a good reader to start, who knows what could possibly happen. So just listen to these things and get them out into the hands of everybody. It's, it's really an exciting time. This is the real deal. Again, Steve developed much of what we teach in the Family Learning Hour, a, a how-to-learn program. Uh, when he was uh, still a teenager, uh, a young boy, based on his own love of reading, and then because of our shared interest in the altered states, the the inner peace of paradise, the alpha brainwave level, we've added what we understand about receptivity and creativity in these states, and, and also the law of attraction, and, and being able to visualize and experience the feeling of a success as yet unattained, and uh, how you get a mental edge, the law of attraction, and self-hypnosis, and all this core metaphysics to accelerated learning. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, Steve and I were hired to do a two-day seminar for teacher trainers in Honolulu. Imagine how exciting it was for Steve and I to take these proven skills and techniques to the people that the Hawaii school system has hired to teach their teachers how to better teach their students how to learn. It's very exciting. So this is good stuff, and it's available to you for free. It doesn't cost you a thing. Everything on the Ageless Wisdom, these webinars are all free. Uh, we've got a free audio library set up for you at the Focus Passion website as well. doesn't cost you a thing to get the first seven programs. And you know what? If you wanted to get more programs at Focus Passion for free, send us an email. If, if 99 cents a week as a contributor is an issue or a problem for you, we wouldn't want it to stand in the way. We're going to give you seven programs up front, and if the idea of forwarding these programs to your friends, to your family members, to people that really need them, appeals to you, then you get to be a contributor at 99 cents a week or more. But just 99 cents a week could go a long way toward helping us promote this, get these programs into the hands of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands dare I say, millions of students given enough time all over the world. Imagine if somebody had provided you with five little 40-minute programs that teach the essence of how to learn. This is not really homeschooling. It's not a curriculum in what to learn. These are the how to learn techniques that most school systems never provide you. So later on today, make a little note. To go to FocusedPassion.com, or if you're a good multitasker, you could do it right now, FocusedPassion.com, and make a contribution of $0.99. Cents. If you're not ready to do that, you just want to sample it, there's an audio preview player on the site, but more importantly, once you click Come On In, you get seven programs for free, and the entire program is available to you. If you just click the box that says, well, maybe later, just send me the free stuff. Seven programs in their entirety, each with a guided imagery meditation. And then you'll know about both of the programs, that premium audio program, Finding Yourself in Paradise, that Steve and I do together, the best, we've, best stuff we've ever done. And the somewhat more advanced and 
slightly esoteric version of personal and spiritual development in the webinar that we do here every Sunday, the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Okay, And of course, as I mentioned before, theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com, the archive for all of the newsletters with links to all of the past programs, theagelesswisdom.blogspot.com. And for those of you who are uh, Twitter uh, uh, Twitter heads, twi twitsters, <laughs> I'm not sure what the term is, but if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, uh, just go to twitter.com slash Focused Passion, and see what we're doing there. Follow us at twitter.com slash Focused Passion. And if you're not yet on Twitter, you might want to sign up for that. It's really a fun way to exchange information, meet new people, especially who share your particular interest in personal and, and spiritual development. Twitter.com slash Focused Passion. All right? Okay, so... Uh, Let's do our program today on the Ageless Wisdom. I'd like to do an introduction and an overview for you. And uh, I'd like to suggest that if you're listening on the web, well, first of all, keep in mind that on the bottom of the web page right in front of you is a submission box where you can put your name, at least your first name, the city where you are, and just above that, some questions, a question, or, or some comments. And we'll go to that a little later in the program. We'll also have a guided imagery for you a little later in the program. So stay tuned for that. But I'd like to introduce you, if you've never been to my website, or if you've been there just to sign up for the newsletter, or like most people, you were only there for a few seconds and clicked around real quickly, Let's wade into it a little bit today, and you can follow along. Some folks are listening to us by telephone now, so I don't know if you have access to a computer or not, but here's what you can do. Regardless of the browser you happen to be using on the Internet, uh, you don't want to go away from this page because then you'll lose the feed. But if you go to the very top bar on your browser, right next to the name of the browser. It might say Firefox up there. It might say Internet Explorer or Safari or uh, Opera or whatever browser you happen to be using. Right next to it is the word File. And if you open that drop-down menu, you'll see at the very top of it, New Window. And when you click on that, a lot of people don't even know you can do this. You have two windows at the same time. Okay. And in the second window, you can type into the address bar, theagelesswisdom.com, and do that now. Okay, go to the top of the, uh, of the computer screen there, where your browser is, and click on File, and then New Window. And when that second window opens up on top, click or enter into the URL, into the address bar, theagelesswisdom.com or the W's dot theagelesswisdom.com and it'll pop right up there. Okay, big green page, The Ageless Wisdom. And then where it says on the left homepage, click on that to go inside. And this is where we want to begin our introduction of The Ageless Wisdom. What
what's it all about? What is the ageless wisdom? Well, this is what we say at the top. To find your soul, you must follow your heart. Now, the word soul and the word heart both mean the same thing, uh, essentially center or middle. And the heart is the center between the mental and the physical. You have a mental nature. You have an emotional nature, the heart. And then you have a physical nature. Well, although many people are emotionally polarized, and they just do what they feel without very much thought at all, uh, the idea of expanding consciousness or developing yourself is to calm the heart, calm the emotional nature with mental discernment so that your thoughts impact the emotions rather than the other way around. And that leads to better action. Get the order down. Ideally, we want to be as conscious, sentient, aware, awake, alert people, lucid, you know, clear thinking. Mental impacts the emotional, which creates the physical. So the emotional nature or the heart is the middle of that trinity. Well, the same is true for the soul on the higher plane, where you have in the Christian tradition the father, the son, and the mother aspect, which the church insists on calling Holy Spirit or Holy, Holy Ghost because we wouldn't want women to have a say in the church, would we? So it's really father, son, and mother. It's a variation on the old Egyptian um, king, prince, and queen, Osiris, Horus, and Isis. You have the same thing in, in, uh, in Judaism, Keter, Kachna, and Bana. And in Christianity, it's Father, Son, and Mother, or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The soul, again, is the middle. The Christ, or the Son, is in the middle. So that's what, when, when we refer to finding your heart by, or using the heart to find the soul, to follow your heart to find your soul, they're in the middle. They're both in the middle. And uh, love, on both levels, emotional love, and even more to the point, spiritual love comes from the heart and the soul of things, from the center of things. And that's what the wisdom is really all about. Wisdom is another word for heart and soul. Wisdom is consciousness, is love, is truth. And that it's ageless, that it's timeless, uh, that has several meanings. That it's perpetual that it's eternal as well as infinite is one of the one of the parts of love that's difficult for us to really understand mystics say for example that looking for love is as silly as a fish trying to find water when it's all around the fish there's no destination for a fish that isn't wet and there's no place that you could be where you're not surrounded by love and yet, that message is not clear to most people, and so they go looking for love, as if somebody else could give you the love you're looking for, but you could not do that for you, right? And you don't have any love to give others unless or until you get it from others and then can pass it on. We're really mixed up and confused about this, but interestingly, our ancestors in all cultures, 
in all societies, in all times, really had a better understanding than we do. And so let's go down this page here. I'll read a bit of it for you. The ageless wisdom is a non-religious approach to spirituality, to the nature of the soul, and the development of consciousness. Also known as the perennial philosophy, esoteric philosophy, mysticism, and Prisca Theologia, the wisdom is a consensus from all cultures and all times about the spiritual reality of our lives as human souls incarnate. From ancient times, the wisdom has always been known, yet hidden and veiled, secretly whispered from lip to ear, only to the most worthy, to avoid persecution by the church, the state, the great mystery schools were invisible colleges, a reference to the spiritual nature of the information as well as its hidden traditions, rules, principles, and ceremonies. Okay, I'm going to pause here and comment. From lip to ear is an old mystical phrase, a reference to the secrecy that, on one hand, it's obvious if, you know, waterboarding uh, as horrible as it is, was not invented by Dick Cheney or, or, or George Bush. It goes back to uh, the Catholic Church in the Middle Ages. Uh, it's, you know, uh, a technique from the medieval dungeons of, of Europe. And uh, those are times when people were stretched on the rack as well as waterboarded and pilloried and, and um a little bit later, guillotine, that had to be invented, and uh, all, all manner of horrible persecution and uh, punishment for people that dared to disagree with the church, which, of course, became the state. Um, it uh, It's a pretty ugly period in the Western the history of Western civilization, that a burgeoning uh, democratic movement, the, the Romans and the Greeks, um, which could have flowered into a wonderful birth of civilization, instead the church became the state and took us into a thousand years of dark ages. Imagine the two thousand years that have passed since Jesus of Nazareth, half of that time was spent going backwards into truly medieval and dark times while the rest of the world flourished. Well, fortunately, about a thousand years ago, universities began to crop up and science and uh, uh, came to the fore and people began to learn to read. Soon thereafter, a few hundred years later, I think uh, 13th century was when Gutenberg, or 14th century, invented the printing press. It uh, took a while for that to catch on, because what good is a printing press if nobody can read? And why should anybody learn to read if there are no books to read? And the church did not, the Catholic church anyway, did not want people reading uh, books, and, and did not want the Bible to be read. There's some question today about Catholics. Uh, even reading the Bible. And that led, of course, to the Reformation and the Protestant movement, Protestants as they're known today. 
bunch of Christians who said, let's get back to reading the Bible. Well, who could read? <laughs> well, fortunately, we have a printing press now. So uh, it was not until, well, there were a few English editions of the Bible before the King James Version, but I think it was 1611 or 16, about the time of Shakespeare, the early 17th century, that uh, a authorized English edition of the of the Bible became available. So, anyway, the idea of arriving at your own understanding of, of, of Christianity or any spiritual tradition, religious, philosophical, uh, a pagan, Wiccan, uh, shamanic, whatever, boy, if you disagreed with the church, you were you were tortured. So that's the the primary reason, or certainly one of the reasons, that this information has been kept secret. And even today, there are those who would tell you that because of the secrecy, there must be something evil about mythology and mysticism and the ageless wisdom. Other other words, why would they be so secretive? Well secretive so we won't get killed and burned at the stake. But there's even a bigger reason why this information was passed lip to ear. And um, that's because the women and men who guarded these uh, philosophies, these these ancient wisdoms, these, these, these teachings that are older than time itself, that again crop up in all societies, are preserved all around the world was the concern that if they did become extant and well-known, that the wisdom would become crystallized and dogmatic and like any other religion. And uh, that has happened. There are religions that have attempted to co-opt the wisdom, but because they are religious in nature, they become as I say, fixed and crystallized, and the the subjective, the allegory, the metaphor at the heart of mysticism, at the heart of hearts, <laughs> the heart of souls, the soul of the heart, tends to be lost then. It's got to be personal, you see. And mysticism has to be understood in a poetic or or metaphorical way. You have to look at the layers of allegory to really appreciate it and the very nature of religion is to make it elementary fixed, unyielding uh, disciplined uh, in the worst sense of the word dogmatic I'm not saying all religious people are like this I'm saying as an institution this is a problem that religion has, it becomes exclusive rather than inclusive, so if you've ever wondered, well why so secretive? Well, there's two good reasons. One, people just didn't want to get killed and burned at the stake. And the other, the reason these mystery schools have always been invisible colleges is we just didn't want it to become another religion. Now, I'm one of a lot of people that feel that the, these are critical times and it's time for us to take what has been passed from lip to ear, what's been secret for all of these thousands and thousands of years, 
and bring it forward and talk about it as we are now to the world on the internet, on radio programs, and any other way we can get the truth out. And again, the one right truth? No, not at all. But a body of work that will allow you to honor all traditions and all religions in a comparative and harmonious way, if not unitive, certainly inclusive in a harmonious way, comparative approaches to religion, where you look at what they have in common rather than what makes them different, is an entree to the wisdom, right? And so you can be uh, interested in this timeless and ageless philosophy, this set of principles, and still honor your particular religion. You might be careful who you who you tell about it, but I assure you there's nothing anti-religious in the ageless wisdom, in spite of what religious people might say in labeling us as New Agers and, and suggesting that anybody who disagrees is wrong and worse than that, evil, and so on and so forth. Let me pick up on this first uh, page here as we talk about the wisdom today. In spite of the great advances in science and technology I've written here, the extent of human cruelty and the tolerance of gross injustice now, in my opinion, requires that those of us who possess aspects of the ageless wisdom, we must reveal it. Not only for the most worthy, which was the case in the past, but now for everyone willing to open their hearts and minds to the ultimate unity behind the veil. And then I make four bullet points, that the ageless wisdom is these four things, okay? And again, I, I hasten to add, this is not the only way to look at it. This is just my particular approach to the ageless wisdom, to Prisca Theologia, the perennial philosophy, esoteric philosophy, mythology. Joseph Campbell didn't like being called a mystic. So he coined the phrase mythology, and he was a mythologist. All right, so for a mystic who doesn't want to be called a, myth a mystic, you're a mythologist. Uh, and, and we need a variety of approaches, uh, diverse and antagonistic approaches. We don't want to all agree, but this is my take on it. This is one way of looking at the wisdom. Number one, it's metaphysics. The wisdom is metaphysical, with a tip of the hat to Aristotle for coining the word, although it certainly predates Aristotle. The wisdom is metaphysical in its recognition of consciousness as the spiritual force behind all physical form. Okay, Consciousness as a force. Again, consciousness as the center of the divine trinity. Divine love as consciousness, as the truth, as the force. It's like the mind, the divine mind, or what's often called God's will, would be a spiritual energy, capital E, energy, but the heart, the Christos, the Buddha nature, the consciousness, is the force, the push behind the energy. 
That's very important in metaphysics, to know the difference between spirit and soul, between energy and force, between, well, if you know electricity, it's the difference between amperage and voltage, where amperage is like the will or the energy, it's the amount of electricity, and the voltage, or EMF, the electromagnetic force, is the push. Well, that's the consciousness, the heart and soul of things, the spiritual force behind all physical form. Okay. Secondly, the ageless wisdom is mystical in its emphasis on a spiritual path of self-initiated self-realization, largely free of ego-based masters and dogmatic religious doctrine. This is also important as we move into this 21st century, this third millennia. Uh, it's been prophesied that, and we can see it happening, that while we'll always need teachers, the age of the guru is being replaced by the age of the Internet, really. We all have access to so much information, though, that, again, we need teachers, but look for teachers who refuse to call themselves masters. There's a saying in mysticism that those who say, uh, those who know don't say, and those who say don't know. How about if I put it that way? In other words, anybody who calls himself a master uh, should be suspect immediately or herself a master, because if they really were a master, they would have conquered the ego, domesticated it, tamed it into, not submission, but an alliance, which the ego is loath to do, and uh, not in glamour themselves with titles like master. That's the last thing. I mean, that's why you don't see Jesus, for example, saying, I am God. He would say, I am the way in the light, and pray to the Father this way, you see. Um, he didn't go around taking credit for what he was doing, right? And said that everybody could do this, that the kingdom is within. So look for teachers who are not gurus, who are not masters, but who insist that the master you're looking for, you already have. The master is within you. The kingdom is within you. So your ability to be a human master is within you. It's like you're a little baby Christ or a little baby Buddha or a little baby Muhammad or a little baby Moses in there. And uh, you just need to develop that. But the potential, the spiritual potential to know the most divine is available to you. How cool is that? So beware of, you know, 19th century masters holding themselves out and, uh, and saying that you have to believe them and do what they say and, and uh, accept only their particular interpretations. That's just more religion. So the second point here is self-initiated self-realization. It's a bit of a conundrum. How can the self know the self? How can the self know the self well enough to realize that it is more than the self it thought it was? <laughs> well, that's why you're interested in this field. That's why you love it. Because while paradoxical, there are answers here. The, the logic and the reasonability of the wisdom 
is part of its attraction to me. I know about you, too. The third point, and if you're just joining us, by the way, we're going over the Ageless Wisdom website, so open a second window with your browser under the file menu if you'd like to follow along. Go to theagelesswisdom.com and click on home page. That's what we're reading here. So the third bullet point is that the Ageless Wisdom is magical in its ability to manifest and refine form. This is the law of attraction in action. For those of you who cut your teeth on the secret, the DVD or the book, or maybe you've been reading self-hypnosis books or success books like classics, Think and Grow Rich, uh, what have you. There's dozens and dozens of them on the same website under the reading list that you can check out later. I've even divided them into two columns, personal development and, and spiritual development. And uh, so there's plenty of material out there about this so-called law of attraction, that we do indeed reap what we sow, and that thoughts are forms, or thoughts are seeds or seedlings, that the, as James Allen said, uh, your dreams are the seedlings of reality. What Life is self-fulfilling. What you put your attention on, you tend to magnetize and attract. But that's only part of it. Because as you expand your understanding of the wisdom, perennial philosophy, it will also go to a sense of refining that which already exists. It's not just a matter of the magic of creating new forms, but of refining and improving, uplifting, redeeming what already is in manifestation. Now, the challenge here is to go beyond elementary school, to go beyond what is held out in books like The Secret and uh, the DVD and audiobook versions of these uh, elementary texts which make manifestation or spiritual magic about material stuff. It really isn't. You can, you can bully matter. You can use the mind and develop consciousness to attract stuff, cars and houses and money. And that's the first thing you'll go after. That's understandable. But I would have you consider that these powers of mind, this magnetic nature of consciousness, is even better used when we magnetize opportunity, when we magnetize creative and loving relationships, when we magnetize uh, events that are productive and, and, uh, and helpful. It's not just physical stuff that we can manifest and refine with consciousness. Think of relationships and opportunities to make a difference in the world. That's what a, a magician is really about. Uh, the hermit, the magician, uh, the wise man or the sage corresponds again to the soul, to divine, capital L, love. And the fourth bullet point that I have uh, in defining the ageless wisdom is that it is contemplative in its approach to what religious people call God, what the philosopher calls absolute. 
contemplative in its approach to the Most High be a feeling, but not emotional feeling, and not simply physical sense or sensation, but a feeling that transcends thought, emotion, or physical sensation. Now that very concept might be new to you, that there is a feeling that transcends feelings. I mean, we certainly know what a physical feeling is, pain or pleasure, and we have a sense, some of us are learning what emotional feelings are about. You don't really hear very many people talk about mental feelings, although the mind can have its own set of feelings. I think inspiration or intuition arrives with a feeling, right? That isn't exactly emotional, that aha experience of the light bulb coming on or or being thunderstruck or even the gradual dawning of a realization. That's a, a wonderful mental feeling. But when the body is still and the mind is quiet, and the heart is calm and undisturbed, something remains. It's ineffable in that any attempt I make to use words to describe it will ultimately fail. Ineffable is a great word that means there are no words to <laughs> It really means there are no words to describe it, so I'm going to call it ineffable, right? It's a good word to, to put into your lexicon and uh, again I also want to point out that this fourth bullet point the contemplative nature of the wisdom really complements in, any, in, in many ways the third point about manifestation and refinement of form in, in other words consciousness is like a two way street in that there's the law of attraction which is creating a magnetic uh, net, so to speak, by sending or causing or focusing on a goal or a desired outcome. And then there is, even more importantly, the receiving side, the, the, the contemplative side of meditation, of prayer. There's a lot of people that use prayer to petition, but they don't really wait for an answer. They're not listening with their prayer, which is tragic. If if you're one who believes in the power of prayer, but you're only sending, uh, you might want to consider listening. I, I always amazes me that people will close their eyes to send a message to God, but then they open their eyes and look for these magnificent signs in the world. God, give me a sign. Make Well, why not just keep your eyes closed and listen? And uh, maybe you'll get uh, maybe you'll get a a sense of expanded awareness when you do that. So what it comes down to then, these four points are consciousness. That's the essence of who you are. It's another word for love. It's eternal. It's infinite. It's what lasts when you die. Anything that you love, that you make out of love, that you care about that you're consciously aware of lives forever. And that's who you are and that's what you're doing. You're creating your so-called afterlife. There is no such thing as an afterlife. There's birth and death within life. 
Don't call it life and death. It's birth and death. Life is eternal. Consciousness is eternal. Life, consciousness, divine love, the wisdom, all the same thing. So it is consciousness. The wisdom is consciousness. The wisdom is realization. The ability to reflect on who you are so as to better understand who you are and then witness the evolution through that self-realization of who you're becoming. There is a ladder here. There is a spiral staircase. There is an ascension. There is a refinement. Uh, this is lead to gold. This is water to wine. This is even the prostitute to the virgin that you see in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Uh, resurrection, redemption, um, atonement, uh, realization. It's all the same thing. And then manifestation and refinement. Okay. I know this raises more questions than it answers. It's supposed to. It's one of the great things about the ageless wisdom is that while it is, in part, a search for answers. Uh, you come to understand that the great questions are unanswerable. And the beauty of being a student of the wisdom and self-initiating your self-realization is you just keep asking better and better and better questions. And you may sometimes feel like you're closing in on the answer, but the answer gets more vast all the time, so you really don't close in on it. Uh, it's like the more you know about the ocean, the broader and deeper the ocean becomes, uh, the better questions you ask. and It's not frustrating. It's definitely worthwhile, this pursuit, but it is a, uh, a path that has no ultimate destination. It's... Uh, it's a path that is, again, about following your heart, following what you love, following what you care about. We go back to this page now. The feeling, the force that unifies all matter with its spiritual source is divine love, which I like to define as the longing of the part to be whole. And that's, again, a beautiful, I think, beautiful way of talking about the difference between emotional love and spiritual love. Spiritual love, divine love, capital L love, as consciousness, is the longing to be more. And everybody's got it. I love that Roberto Asagioli quote about, um, in fact, I think it's further down on the page, maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, about the longing of the, of the flower or the plant to know its source as it, as it reaches for the light and turns toward the sun and follows it across the sky. You have that too, don't you? An innate and inherent longing to know the truth of who you are. And the very fact that you're listening to me now means that you're taking action on that longing. A lot of people don't. Many refuse. Many are frightened or terrified at the very idea of understanding themselves. The, the fear, of course, is that I'm going to find out my mom and dad were right, and I really am bad, wrong, stupid, evil, inadequate, never will be any good. I don't know why I ever had children. I hope you weren't exposed to that. 
But even if you had wonderful parents, or most of the time they were wonderful, it's tough being a kid, being a teenager, not having a sense of who you are. And it's real easy as an adult to turn that search off, to turn away, and to succumb to the temptation that you are simply an appearance. And if you dress right, if uh, you drive the right car, if your house is big enough and you're a member of all the right clubs, then you're cool, even if in your heart of hearts you're miserable. Well, I think en masse humanity is waking up to the heartache in the appearance of things, the false promise that there is something substantial in the appearance, when the substantial is hidden behind the veil, behind the appearance of things. And it's found in your longing to be more, in your inherent desire that you were born with and are honoring by being here and listening to this program and the Finding Yourself in Paradise podcast at FocusedPassion.com. What follows on the homepage here at TheAgelessWisdom.com is an invitation to attend the very webinar that you're now attending, a link where you can request the newsletter. That's also on the splash page, a uh, archive for the newsletter and all the audios, and uh, also a link to the page where I talk about the private counseling and coaching that I do, and uh, a little about the Maui retreats that Steve and I are designing We'd really love to begin to do small and intensive retreats for intermediate and advanced students of the wisdom. Again, not to tell you the one right way, but to show you the path, and you can find your own way. Wouldn't that be exciting? To honor, to have a teacher that would teach you, or a couple of teachers that will continue to encourage you to find your own path, to trust your own conscience to do what you know to be the right thing to do. Okay. I want to go a little farther with this and uh, encourage you. Then I'll go to the uh, questions and comments. So I encourage you to, uh, again, if you're listening live today on the 22nd of February, 2009, happy birthday, George Washington. By the way, this is the one-year anniversary of us arriving in Maui today, one year ago today, George Washington's birthday, uh, if you're listening live, uh, put a question or a comment about our topic in that submission box down at the bottom of the page, follow it with your name and the city where you are, and of course be sure to hit the submit button, and we'll go to those in just a few minutes, and we'll do our guided imagery exercise. The Ageless Wisdom is based upon principles drawn from the secret teachings and published essays of, and here's a long list. Okay, so let me go through the list. Again, to give you a sense of how big this is, I'm going to name groups, I'm going to name individuals. Uh, there's no way this can be an inclusive list. There's lots of people that sort of straddle the fence between myth and religion, but this is a pretty good attempt at it here. Starting with theosophy and the theosophists. 
And I could put the anthroposophists in here. Uh, Rudolf Steiner spun off from the work of H.P. Blavatsky and Alice Bailey and created a, a group similar to Theosophy called Anthroposophy. That's Rudolf Steiner. Um, this is the 19th century Western approach to yoga, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Taoism. Uh, theosophy was very similar to, and in many ways parallel to, the New Thought Movement of the early 1800s, pre-Civil War in the United States. And um, metaphysics became of interest to the spiritual spiritually minded uh, uh, people of uh, Europe and the United States and uh, in addition to the New Thought Movement uh, Helena uh, Blavatsky Helena Petrova Blavatsky HPB uh, in 1875 founded the Theosophical Society in New York and wrote in a couple of books The Secret Doctrine Isis Unveiled a two volume set actually Isis unveiled much about Tibetan Buddhism, uh, the the magical parts and the mystical parts of Hinduism, also Taoism, Confucianism, and blended them with the Islamic and Judeo-Christian uh, traditions of the West in a really beautiful way, but too deep and too difficult to understand for most people. Alice Bailey broke that down a little further. Uh, Krishnamurti broke it down a little more than that. and uh, So in addition to theosophy and anthroposophy, this is also known as esoteric philosophy. The Gnostics contributed enormously to this. The Gnostics are a group that existed really before Christ. And many people believe Christ was in many ways a Gnostic. Uh, there are the Gnostic Gospels of Nag Hammadi, which were discovered about 55, 60 years ago, I think the late 1940s or early 50s, shortly after the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in that part of the world. And uh, Gnosticism, which means knowing in Greek, isn't it interesting? The G in Gnostic is silent, and the K in knowledge is silent. That's the derivation. Gnostic is Greek for one who knows, uh, or one who seeks knowledge, certainly. Neoplatonism is real important. Uh, it's, you know, quasi, neo means quasi, or sort of like Platonic philosophy. Uh, the primary Neoplatonist is a guy named Plotinus, or Plotinus, who was a Greek that lived hundreds of years after Plato, but really put a... Uh, a, a mystical spin on, on Plato's work and accounts for much of the early material that contemporary mystics and uh, mythologists and, and metaphysicians draw upon. There's also alchemy. Alchemy has its roots, as we discussed a few weeks ago, in ancient Hermetic philosophy. That's the old Egyptian philosophy. Remember, Moses was raised in Egypt. <laughs> so uh, a lot of his wisdom is uh, even, you know, Moses, we believe, was about 1300 B.C., but not even sure. And a lot of his wisdom is much older than that, going back to the pyramids, uh, which we believe were built 
four to 6,000 years ago, uh, but we're not even sure about that and still don't know how they were built. So alchemy is a reference to, in many ways, the magical, uh, mystical philosophies of the ancient Egyptians based on their prophet Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus. Sufism has to be included in the Ageless Wisdom, both capitalized and small s Sufism. Uh, the, the, the word really comes out of Islam, and a Sufi is a Muslim mystic, but small s Sufi uh, is often used to refer to all manner of mystics, because as you study the wisdom of the world, again, you become less, um, what shall I say, provincial, and, and more universal in your philosophy. And so the word Sufi in the Islamic tradition uh, really refers to that. And what Islam needs, I would say, in this day and age is uh, uh, more Sufis and, and fewer fundamentalists. I think we could say that about Christians. I think we could say that about Jews as well. Fewer fundamentalists and uh, and, and more esotericists, more, if you will, liberals, people who are tolerant and flexible, kind, forgiving, and inclusive. This list has to include the Kabbalists. These are the mystics of uh, the uh, Jewish traditions of the Hebrew Bible um, with their Book of Splendors, the Zohar, and the Kabbalah, really a collection of writings. The Rosicrucians, the Order of the Rosy Cross, a fascinating, again, veiled history, the invisible college that we talked about, the mystery schools of the Renaissance era in Europe. These were largely enlightened European men who rediscovered the Kabbalah of ancient Israel and developed the tarot card system to correspond with the Kabbalistic Tree of Life and emerged in that Renaissance era uh, under the guise of a fellow named Christian Rosencrantz, who probably was not even a real person. But Rosicrucian and Rosencrantz are referenced to the Rose Cross, the Rosy Cross, the Bloody Cross, or the, more to the point, the heart of the cross, the point where the cross intersects between the horizontal and vertical if the horizontal represents man in form, the vertical is the spiritual hierarchy, the soul would be the rose in the very center of the cross, at the, at the intersection, so to speak, which would be the soul between heaven and earth, between God and man. Rosicrucian, very veiled, complex, uh, but far out. And, and not something you can join. My wife, Doreen, likes to say you don't, you don't join the Rosicrucians, although they'll advertise in magazines. and They've got a center in San Jose and another one in Oceanside, uh, both in California. But you aspire to Rosicrucianism, you don't join it. In many ways, the Freemasons are like an outer circle of Rosicrucians. Uh, once rather esoteric, they've devolved over the years into pretty much a social club and Europe and the United States, the whole lodge system, um, you know, the Elks and the Moose and the Shriners and 
and uh, the Kiwanis clubs, a lot of these service organizations evolved out of the Freemasons. I said today was George Washington's birthday. I have to point out that the father of this country was a mystic. He was, or uh, is, if you wish, uh, a Freemason. And with a little Google search, you can find that famous picture of George Washington wearing his Masonic apron with the trowel in one hand. And this is a reference to Freemasonry as magicians, as mystics, building form. And the idea of also being architects and laying bricks and using mortar, all of that is an allegory. One of the great trinities in Freemasonry is God as architect, the soul as the builder, and physical dense reality as the building. So a mason aspires to be the builder uh, who does the architect's or God's work. And uh, again, beautifully, beautifully deep in terms of the allegory and the metaphor that you can find in these systems. Others I'll just uh, roar through as we go to the East. We have to certainly acknowledge Eastern philosophy in general spinning off from Hinduism, the teaching of Buddha. Uh, about the 5th century B.C., about the same time as uh, uh, Pythagoras and, uh, and Socrates and Aristotle, um, Buddha, and also a little to the north in what is now China, uh, Confucius. All these guys were on the earth at about the same time, about 500 uh, B.C., Lao Tzu was the founder of Taoism, the Chinese philosophy of flow, and uh, the Tao, and of course uh, Buddhism and Taoism and Confucianism are really more philosophies than religions. They're not religions as we think of it in the West, the way Muslims and Jews and Christians think of religion. <coughs> Excuse me, it's Bora. Uh, philosophy or a set of goals or in the case of Confucius and, and even Lao Tzu a set of folk wisdoms and, uh, what we might even call common sense and then there's shamanism also of course this is the um, secret teachings of the indigenous people of the world uh, again all over the world um, a medicine man in a rainforest in in the middle of Brazil someplace would have no problem communicating with a shaman from um, the polar regions of the Northwest Territories or Siberia. Um, shaman or the medicine men of the Plains Indians or, or those in New England that the pilgrims encountered. Shamanism shares so much that again, read some Joseph Campbell. How could you help but be blown away by the fact that these ancient medicine men and women were arriving, though in isolation, not in contact with each other, still nevertheless arriving at so many of the same conclusions about the nature of the soul as the essence of the human being and its relationship to all other things in the universe.
I go on in this homepage to identify other mystics, including, I say including but not limited to, and these are some of my favorites, maybe some of these names are familiar to you, uh, Meister Johannes Eckhart, uh, one of the Rhineland mystics, uh, Master Eckhart, Jacob Bohm, or Boma, Emanuel Swedenborg, St. Teresa of Avila, and her mentor, St. John of the Cross, Jean van Roysbroek, St. Francis of Assisi, Thomas Akempis, Moses, Jesus, Buddha, Patanjali, who wrote the sutras and invented, in a sense, yoga uh, so long ago. We don't even know when that was. And coming back to the West uh, in Greece, Pythagoras, Plato, Plotinus, we mentioned, Lao Tzu, the Chinese sage, the, in a sense, founder of Taoism, uh, Rumi, who was a Sufi and a mystic in the Islamic traditions, uh, Christian mystics include William Law, Walter Hilton, Marcio Ficino. Uh, some of these old names are hard for me to pronounce. Enricus Cornelius Agrippa, Robert Flood, John Dee, who was the astrologer of Queen Elizabeth, a fellow who wrote about the Anakian language of angels. Some fascinating stuff here. Again, this is, you know, all for your, submitted for your approval, as uh, Steve likes to remind us. Rod Sterling always used to say, this is not, you know, you must believe what these people say. You don't have to believe any of this. This is not what it's about. We're not looking for the one right way. Right? You're looking for your own way. Take from these teachers and these traditions whatever makes sense to you. Whatever resonates in your heart and leave the rest behind, you get to do that. Not in religion you don't, but certainly in philosophy you do. We mentioned HPB and AAB, uh, Helena Petrova Blavatsky, the Russian mystic, and Alice A. Bailey, any of her 24 books. If you can wade through that, if you can hang in there, you're going to get a lot out of it. Um, Israel Regardi, more contemporary now. Uh, Eliphas Levy, some of these names might be familiar to you. You might have some of their books. Dion Fortune and, and Paul Foster Case, Joseph Campbell, the great Aldous Huxley, Carl Jung, Emil Kuei, Dr. Ernest Holmes, uh, the founder, of the, the author of Science of Mind and founder of Religious Science, Dr. Thomas J. Hudson from the late 19th century, uh, Bucky Fuller, Gandhi, Dr. Martin Luther King, you say, why do you include Martin Luther King as a mystic? Study mysticism and then go back, and you'll understand King's power. He understood Christ. He understood Christianity. He understood love and compassion and forgiveness as a power. He understood nonviolence as a power. He understood what Gandhi understood about the teachings of Christ and pacifism that the vast majority of Christians have lost for hundreds and hundreds of years after the death of Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, for hundreds and hundreds of years, all Christians were pacifists and would never pick up a sword. It wasn't until the church began to create armies 
and go on crusades that a Christian would ever think about killing anybody. And so it's all been perverted. But Gandhi understood it. Dr. King rediscovered it. And there's many others uh, here. And uh, you can check that out on my page. I'm going to uh, read you a couple of quotes real quick, and then we'll go to your questions. This is the Asagioli, Roberto Asagioli quote I mentioned earlier. He said, uh, deep in each one of us, there is an inner pull towards some higher form of life, an underlying but insistent urge that prompts us, like the flower which innately turns toward the sun, to look towards something greater than ourselves. And Tolstoy, I really like this. He said, all, everything that I understand, I understand only because I love. Everything is, everything exists only because I love. Everything is united by it alone. Love is God, and to die means that I, a particle of love, shall return to the general and eternal source. Just some of what you'll find on the Ageless Wisdom website. And I wanted to take you there and introduce you to that material, let you know that it's there. TheAgelessWisdom.com Let's go to your questions and comments. Again, if you haven't uh, done so, you've got an opportunity, if you're listening live with us today on the web, to put a few comments or questions on the page. And uh, we'll refresh that page and... Uh, go over these comments. Now, first of all, Dave in Riverside says, impact show getting canceled, question mark, question mark. Um, uh, interesting question. I don't know how you got that, Dave. That's supposed to be a big secret. Uh, I don't think very many people know that tonight is the last impact show on KLOS. Uh, I sent an email to Frank Sontag. Um, because I heard some scuttlebutt from a very reliable source. Uh, you sort of caught me off guard here, so I don't suppose it'll hurt to uh, admit that that's my understanding, that after almost 40 years on the radio in the same time spot, that public affairs show is being canceled. Frank's done it for the last 21 years. I did it for 10 years before that. Other hosts of that program include Elliot Mintz and Alex Bennett, and uh, I think it's tragic and shameful that uh, even though most stations did this long ago, that ABC, owned by Disney, owned by Capital Cities, owned by Citadel, okay, we're down to the about four corporations own all media in America, now, that they would eliminate this last remaining public affairs talk show. Imagine programming in the public interest. So, yeah, I don't think you're supposed to know, but um, that's what I heard. I'd love to know how you found that out, Dave. So, Anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for asking about that. So I have mixed feelings about that. I really do. Uh, Carol in La Habra says hello to, uh, to all of us, to Michael, to Steve, and uh, Doreen. And Lorelai is with us, as always, in Tucson. She says, Aloha, this class makes my week. Thanks for being there. Peace and love to you and Doreen. Well, thanks, Lorelai. 
and it makes my week, and it wouldn't be a class if you guys weren't there. So thanks. Uh, Larry on the Big Island in Hilo is with us, and he says, need to do a retreat at the Tibetan Buddhist Temple here on the Big Island. We'd love to do that. And uh, I have some friends on the Big Island besides Larry, and uh, we'd love to get over there, find out what the facilities are. In Irvine, Robert Fiegel is with us again this week. Robert's here most every week. And he says, Aloha, excellent class. Have a great week, Robert. Thank you, Robert. Uh, oh, here's Larry again. He says, uh, the key to building the pyramids is time frame. We think one or two years to build something. They took 40 years uh, to create temples. Yeah, they had lots of time. They were not in any hurry. But still, there must have been something else going on there. I'm a science channel freak. I've seen everything from Jews as slaves pushing rocks up a big ramp to kites. Even There was even some people that were experimenting with these enormous kites in a block and tackle and lever system uh, to pull these rocks upright. Well, I guess that was more about Stonehenge and the standing stones of England and Ireland and Scotland than the pyramids, but there's the Easter Island stuff, and all of this incredible Malta, the ruins of Malta, uh, uh, this stuff staring us in the face. We Too few people even care about it. In Oceanside, Roberto says, happy first anniversary. I've been fortunate enough to be along for the ride, and thanks, Michael and Steve, for your service. Thank you, Robert. Roberto in Oceanside, and Robert in Irvine. We have at least three Roberts with us today. He says, I truly believe that the head of us is the higher self, which in itself is part of God being good and loving and caring. It's our ego, which not only believes that it's separate from God, but also separate from its higher self, reinforcing its beliefs in evil, ignorance, uh, lack, shortage, limitation. Therefore, at our purest essence, we're all good and divine. We just need to continually recognize and remember that. Well, certainly agree with that. That's the ego's job, is to identify with the part of you that is separate and alienated and alone and help that separated being be alive. But it runs amok when it loses its sense of the higher self, which is much more unitive, and, and that speaks to the truth that Robert's talking about here. And, uh, oh, Robert goes on with another post. He says, thanks for being an inspiring teacher. You are, to me, the Carl Sagan of the inner universe. Wow, thank you. That's very nice. One of my favorite Sagan quotes is, somewhere something incredible is about to happen. And, uh, I also like the way he would say billions and billions. There was a story that came out this week that of the 150 billion stars in just our galaxy alone, the Milky Way, there's about 150 billion galaxies, each with 100 to 150 billion stars. But in our galaxy alone, uh, the scientists that do this uh, research now believe there may be in two-thirds, that is a hundred billion of those star systems, planets like Earth. 
and they've already discovered 300 of them. 300 planets have been identified in other solar systems in the Milky Way galaxy. That's pretty cool. I mean, every star you see is our galaxy. Uh, you might see a little blurry star somewhat sometime up in the sky. It might be another galaxy, but I love that science channel. In Portland, uh, John says, uh, good day, Michael. Thanks for the, for the class, and uh, thanks to you, John. And thanks for checking in from Portland. And in Las Vegas, Greg Simonian is with us, and he says hi. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Greg. Nice to hear from you. So let's do our guided imagery exercise. We've got a few minutes left. And we'll, we'd like to include the meditation in each and every one of these programs. So. We'll do that now, and then I'll count you up and out before the uh, before the 90-minute mark and let you go. So, whether you're listening live or to us as a recording, if this is a good time for you, get comfortable, pump up the pillows, sit up nice and straight, but relax. The whole idea is to create an alignment, not to use muscular tension to hold yourself erect, but rather to be balanced. Think of your head as balanced on your shoulders. Think of your shoulders as balanced above the spine. And experience your head, your shoulders, and your spine balanced gently on your hips. As you sit comfortably and begin to relax, take a nice, slow, deep breath, inhaling through your nose. Feel the air coming into your nostrils. Hold as you peek. And now, just as slowly, ah, through the nose or the mouth, ah, feel the letting go. And go beyond where you normally stop all the way out and do it again. Nice, slow Bring it in through the nose. Get that oxygen right into those capillaries and then ah, feel the letting go. Relax. Muscles unwinding as you exhale. And you could do that a third or a fourth time. And soon allow your breathing to find its natural rhythm. Just let your body breathe itself. Turn that breathing over to autopilot. Allowing my voice to guide your imagination to a place of perfect peace. A beautiful place. A natural paradise. A garden of Eden. Trees and grass and flowers and water. Little bubbly mountain streams or beautiful pristine lakes. Make sure there's some sunny, warm meadows there and also some shaded, cool, forested places. And imagine yourself just wandering through this place that, well, the feeling you're making it up is exactly right. And allowing my voice to go with you, hear the sounds of birds singing. <laughs> It's so easy to do. The feeling you're making it up is exactly right. The wind and the trees, listen. 
remember. And when you're moving out into the direct sun, you feel its gentle warmth on your face and your arms. And you move to a shady spot or over by a stream or a lake and it feels a little cooler over there. And you find a place to sit upon the earth. And you feel supported by the earth. And I would have you even consider that this is your ground. In spiritual philosophy, there is a phrase, the ground of God. That's not a reference to the physical earth, but to experience the support of the earth, the destination of all energy, electrical or spiritual. It seeks the ground. And this is an approach to the ground of God to the commonness, the oneness of all things. How wonderful to be able to rely upon the earth, to trust it. It's not going to suddenly open up and swallow you or turn off its gravity and propel you into space. You can rely on the earth. You can trust it. You can sit upon it. You can imagine hugging a tree or climbing up into its branches. You can imagine contemplating the beauty of a flower at once. So simple. And yet its beauty so rich and fulfilling. Consider what you know from books you've read, from all of your schooling, your expertise, your experience your knowledge. And now consider also all that you do not know or understand. Not as a deficit or default. No, not at all. But rather an opportunity to realize even more a path a path of evolution a path of the unfolding of consciousness of your awareness of who you are and what you're capable of mentally emotionally physically 
and spiritually. Consider that who you are and what you're capable of will always reside mostly in that which is yet to be known. And that our lives are best when we acknowledge the quest or the search first and foremostly for what makes us tick, who we are. While our friends and neighbors concern themselves with understanding and judging other people in a vain search for power over them, the mystic's path, the ageless wisdom, the perennial philosophy from time out of mind, it's about a self-initiated realization of self. It always has been. Since the most ancient times and the law of correspondence of the ancient Egyptians, as above, so below, and as it is below, so it is above, women and men of exceptional awareness have known that to understand God and the absolute they must look within themselves and to understand themselves they must seek what has been called the kingdom of heaven which is within that's not out there it's not up there it's not out there it's not far away it's closer than your own breath. So breathe now into the kingdom of heaven, in the center of centers, in your heart, in your soul, the essence that is your longing to be more and to discover the divine in you, the best in you, in the question you've yet to ask. Open your eyes, the inner eye, to see. And tell yourself this exercise is easy and fun and effortless and quick and I can do this every day, at least once, maybe a bunch of times every day. That'll be easy and fun to do as you take it a nice, slow, deep breath now. Fill your lungs. Hold for a moment and then open your eyes. Wide awake and alert, relaxed, refreshed, rested, feeling fine back in the room. A little wiser than before. The ageless wisdom. little introduction, little overview for you in this week's Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. Okay? Now, I want you to use the Send one to a friend gadget that you'll find on this site. And even more importantly, we'd love for you to become a contributor in the biggest of ways. Get the bonus tracks. Seven are waiting for you at the FocusedPassion.com site. And all you have to do is use the Remember Password link. If you have any problems, send us an email, info at FocusedPassion.com, info at FocusedPassion.com. Say, how do I get a password for those seven programs? 
if you just click the button that says come on in, even if you don't want to be a contributor right away, push the button that says maybe later, just send me the free stuff. You'll get seven full programs that you can share with your friends, as well as the Mystery School programs. Use both sites. There's a send one to a friend gadget on both of these websites, theagelesswisdom.com and focusedpassion.com. That's the best way we know of to help save the world, to share what you really care about with people that you know are looking for this kind of information. We're all out of time. i got to ease on out of here. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate you being here. Look for the newsletter every Friday and uh, forward that to your friends, too, so we can spread the good news here. Nothing to join, nothing to belong to, no gurus you have to follow. This is about finding within what you've already got and developing it. But here are some keys. Here are some really practical tools and techniques for you and, and really wonderful, hopeful, positive, life-affirming information that everybody really needs now more than ever. Okay, focusedfashion.com. Talk to you next week on the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. And uh, thanks again for being here. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner for Steve Snyder from Maui. Aloha.